Well, if you'll open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10, Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 10 this evening, maybe begin chapter 11. I really got to pick up the pace a little bit in these Proverbs, but man, there's just so much meat. I think last week we, we ended in verse 19, though I think it'd be wise to maybe read that one more time. It's a good uh, reminder, I know, for myself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. That might be one of those verses you want to put on a post-it note and put it somewhere where you can see it, uh, whether it be on your refrigerator, on your computer, near your phone. Uh, this is one that I know I need to remember on a daily basis. So we're not going to dive into that. I think it's self-explanatory, but go to verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Isn't this a picture of Jesus? As you look at verses 20 and 21, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The, the, the lips of the righteous feed many. You know, as Jesus was uh, there in, in the book or in the Gospels and we see him uh, ministering to the people, he didn't just do miracles, did he? He didn't just do signs and wonders. Rather, he spoke. He spoke the word of God to the people. And so his word, it was life. It was food for people. They were able to feed upon his word, right? He has the words of eternal life, the disciples would actually tell him. And so there were those, though, when Jesus was speaking, that they found his sayings to be difficult. You remember that? Remember when he said you needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood? And that was when all the multitudes were following after him. And as he began to say hard things, people began to leave him. And so in the midst of that, we see the disciples sticking around. But here's the irony. You had the Son of God speaking truth. And the, the people were right there. They were there to heed. They were there to hear him. And yet they left. They were so close. And that's the picture that we see here in verses 20 and 21. The, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is worth little. The, rips of the, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. And so you have the wise who take in the word of God as he speaks his word, and it's food to the wise, but the fool is right there hearing the word of God, but he decides not to feed upon it. He's so close and yet so far away, right? He refuses to feed on God's word and therefore he becomes foolish. And so may we heed God's word tonight. And by the way, does anyone need a Bible? I'm sorry, I forgot to ask that question. Anyone need a Bible tonight? No? Okay. Just wanted to make sure. All right. So verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, you may read that and you may think, wait a minute here. I've been walking with Jesus for many years and I'm still going paycheck to paycheck. Is, does he mean here that he's going to make you financially rich if you follow him? If, if you receive God's blessing, will you be financially rich? I hope that you're grounded enough in the word of God to know that that's a big no, right? Uh, you may be rich. 
Scripture, we see all throughout Scripture, God using people who are very wealthy for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And so riches in and of themselves are not bad. But what does it mean here when it says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich? Well, notice, first and foremost, it's the Lord who blesses. It's the Lord who blesses. And we want his blessing. It's his blessing that makes one rich. Isn't it true that when he blesses you in Christ, he blesses you with all the riches of Christ? In fact, you have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, the word tells us. Now, it's not here on this earth, though, is it? This is not treasure on this earth. If you seek to, to store up treasure on this earth, well, that's all, that's gonna, that's all you're going to have. And we're going to see the contrast between the wise and the fool tonight. And the fool is the one who actually stores up and tries to heap up a kingdom here on this world. You're not going to keep it. But when you've put your faith and trust in Christ, do you realize that he wants to share his glory with us? The glory of, uh, that he possessed before he even came down to this earth, he wants to share with us as believers. It's more than just getting your sins forgiven, as amazing as that is. And that's amazing, right? That every sin I have ever committed, no matter how bad, no matter how low, Christ went lower. And he died for our sin. It's amazing that our sin is cleansed and washed and forgiven. But he goes a step further. He actually calls us his sons and his daughters, his brothers, his sisters. And the inheritance that he deserves, he wants to lavish and share with us. This is an eternal treasure. This is something that is eternal in nature. Think of it this way. I love this analogy. You are on death row. And you've been given the electric chair. In fact, today's your day. And so I know they used to give you your final meal. I don't even think they do that anymore. But let's just say that you get your final meal as far as whatever you want. You, you pick your meal and you go to the chair. And you're sitting there on the chair ready to be executed when someone of high importance walks into the room. And he tells you, my son's going to take your place. This happens to be a very rich man. And so he, he goes and he, un, he unhooks you from the, from the electric chair. And, and, and then he, he has you stand up. And he actually has his son take off his attire so that you can put that attire on. And the son goes and he puts on the jumpsuit that you were wearing. And he sits on and he goes to that electric chair and he ends up being executed on your, on your behalf. Now, the father of the son, the rich man, what does he do from here? He doesn't just let you go and say, well, have a nice day. You know, I saved your life today. What he does is he says, okay, I have a limousine waiting for you. I want you to come get in the limousine because I have paperwork I need you to sign. Because as of today, I've adopted you as my son. And as my son, you now stand to inherit all of my treasure. See, what Jesus did for us at the cross, he forgave us of our sin. He took our place as that son sat in that chair on our behalf. But it goes beyond that. We become his sons and daughters. Therefore, we have an inheritance through Christ. And so it is so true that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Just not the way that the normal mind thinks, right? It's so much better than that. So much better. He adds no sorrow with it. Why? The, the riches of this world always have sorrow attached to them, right? Because you can't always keep those riches. They're fleeing. They pass by. And so the, the blessing of the Lord, that's something that we desire in Christ. 
Verse 23, to do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. Okay, So though fools may seem to prosper and do well, there is this unrest in the fool's soul. Say that three times, the full soul, the full soul, right? There is an unrest in the full soul because they understand that they cannot keep what they've acquired. And so when you're living the life of a fool, when you're living in sin, isn't it true that there's no rest? There's no peace? There's no joy? You go to bed at night and there's worry, there's frustration, there's anxiety, there's fear. And there's this, this creeping knowledge that I cannot keep what I've gained, no matter how hard I try. And so there's this contrast between the fool or the wicked who has this desire that he can't keep, even though he's tried with all of his heart, the fear of him will come upon him, right? But the desire of the righteous will be granted. Again, there's this contrast between the two. And when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. And so do you see the contrast there? Even though the wicked may seem to prosper, and they may seem to be doing really well, they're driving the fancy cars, they're living in the five-star you know, house, they, they, they have all the clothes, the Armani this, they got the fancy stuff. You know, They may seem to be prospering. They may have people under them. But at the end of the day, the righteous are the ones who have an everlasting foundation. And we're going to see as we go through these Proverbs, there is a day of judgment, isn't there? And that's why it's so important for us to have a foundation that's in Christ. Because he's the only foundation that'll last, that'll stand. You remember when Jesus told that, that uh, parable of the man who built his house on the sand versus the man who built his house on the rock? The man who built his house on the sand, what did he do? He heard God's word. But he didn't obey. He didn't put it into practice. He had no foundation. But the man who heard his word and listened to it and obeyed, he built his house on the rock. When the storms came and the winds blew, his house remained. And again, it's a picture of God's judgment. When his judgment blows through this world, the righteous will stand. Why? Not because of our own righteousness. We learned this last week. It's not because of our own righteousness, right? I have no righteousness. The only righteousness I have are bloodied rags. The hand of God. That's it. Lord, here's my bloodied rags. Will you accept this? No, it's righteousness from Christ. His righteousness. And because he declares me righteous in Christ, now he tells me by his spirit, through his word, live it out, son. You're free. Now live out that freedom. Enjoy being in Christ. And so it's important to be in Christ on the day of judgment. He's the only foundation that will not, uh, that will not crumble on that day. And build your life on the foundation of the word of God. And I promise you, your life will stand, even in the midst of difficulties. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes... So is the lazy man to those who send him, right? Now, this is very uh, poignant, especially for someone in Solomon's day, because in his day, they probably didn't have very nice teeth. 
There was not dental care. There was not Crest or Coolgate or floss and those things. And so the average people, their teeth typically weren't so good, right? I've heard people joke about people from England and their teeth, but I think Solomon's teeth were worse. They drink a lot of tea with sugar. I guess that's why. But uh, as vinegar to the teeth. So here's the idea. You would go and you would drink, let's say, wine. And you'd, you, you, you think that you're going to drink something sweet. You think you're getting something good. And the person ends up taking that drink. And instead of it being sweet, it's, it's, it's sour, bitter vinegar. And then to the, to the teeth that are decaying, that acid just, it, it's frustrating. You expected something good, but it didn't happen that way. Or smoke to the eyes. You had this great meal cooking, and you thought, man, I'm, I worked all day, I'm tired, I'm hungry. You go and you think that meat's going to be nice and smoked, and instead you have this horrible smoke coming up from the pit, and it's just coming right into your eyes. And so you had this expectation that there was something good awaiting, and only it was not so good. So is the lazy man to those who send him. The person who sent the lazy man are, have expectations. They didn't think he was lazy. And then after they sent him on whatever the errand was or whatever the message was, they realized this guy didn't fulfill his duty. And so it's frustrating. They had this desire, right? Now, it reminds me as a servant who's been commissioned. Do you realize as believers we've been commissioned by Christ? To share the gospel, right? That's what he's called us to do, to make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. And may our Lord find us faithful to be fulfilling what he's called us to do. May he not find us to be slack or lazy in the things that he's given into our hand. And do we all have the same role in that? I, no, I don't think so. I mean, we're all called to share Christ. We're all called to share the gospel. But isn't it true that he's given us spiritual gifts? And he's given us abilities. He's given us opportunities. And the idea is be faithful. When your Lord sends you on a task, whatever that task is, big or small, and don't despise the day of small things. Because when you're sent on a task, guess what? I guarantee you this lazy guy here, he was probably not sent on the greatest task known to the king the very first time. He probably would have had to show himself faithful so that he would be entrusted with more important tasks, more important errands, more important commissions. And so be faithful with the little things, the things that maybe we think are insignificant. Lord, I want to be this, but I, I'm just this right now, Lord. Be faithful with those things. Don't, don't take them for granted. Don't be lazy on the things. Sometimes I, I find myself, I'm focused on the things I don't have instead of focusing on the things I do have. And when I focus on the things I don't have, it causes me to be lazy toward the things that I actually do. Right? It takes my focus off of what Christ has called me to do. Whatever that is, it looks different for every one of us. And isn't that the enemy's tactic? Isn't that one of his great tactics to divert our attention away from what God has put right in front of us? You know, it's right here. He's given me this task to do, and I'm focused on everything else. And I get distracted, I get upset, I get frustrated, I get anxious. And so let us learn from this. Don't be vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes of the one who's commissioned us. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. That fear of the Lord, again, constant theme. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish, right? 
Now when it says here that the hope, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. I love this word gladness. This word gladness speaks of an intense celebration. I'm not just talking about like we, we just got done singing worship songs. Oh, praise the Lord, you know, God is good. No, this word for celebration, it speaks of jumping up and down, praising the Lord, stomping our feet, clanging the cymbals, raising our hands, lifting our voice to the highest. This is the joy of the Lord to its fullest right here. And so the hope of the righteous will be gladness. Do you realize when, when you see the culmination of your salvation, when you see your Lord face to face and you understand all that he's accomplished through the cross, Number one, we know every tear is going to be wiped away, right? So there's not going to be any more tears, praise God. I don't know what he's going to do with the memory, but somehow the tears are going to be washed away, and I believe that also is symbolic of our memories as well. But there's something even more. You're going to experience the joy of the Lord to its fullness. Think about it. It says in his presence there's fullness of joy. What's that going to be like when you stand before your Lord and your Savior? And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. When you read the book of Revelation and you see the glimpse of the throne room of heaven, is everyone just sitting there like, oh, you know, happy day. Jesus is here. He's in our presence. Praise the king. No, right? You see people bowing down, face down before the throne of God, singing, worthy is the Lamb. That is a joyful worship of Christ. That is our hope, right? Well, and listen, when the Bible speaks of hope, please understand, it's not like we use the word in English, like, oh, I sure hope tomorrow the weather's not bad. No, this biblical hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation in the Lord. And so this is our hope, gladness, and, and, and we have this fear of God. It prolongs our days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened, of course, but the, and the expectation of the wicked will perish. Everything the wicked are holding on to, they're, they're not going to be able to hold on to it at the end of the day. They're, they're grasping for it. You ever see someone who doesn't know the Lord as they're, as they're dying? They're, they're trying to hold on to this life. It's, it's, a sad, it's a sad thing to see someone who doesn't know Christ grasping for life because they have no hope. They don't have that security in Christ. They don't have that anchor for their soul. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, verse 29. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Similar theme, right? The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. And no doubt this is speaking of the kingdom of God, the, the final kingdom, right? You know how we pray, Lord, not, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven? We're praying for the kingdom of God to come, right? We realize we, there, there's an, we've tasted of the kingdom. We have the, his kingdom in us, in our hearts. Christ dwells in us. So we've tasted of the kingdom. But there's this, this already, but not yet. We've not yet seen the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It's coming. It's future. When Jesus physically, literally, comes to this earth and he stands upon the Mount of the Olives. Mount of Olives. And he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. You realize he has a literal kingdom that he's going to set up? 
And it's why? Because it's promised in the Old Testament. He has to sit on the throne of David. It's promised to Israel. And it's promised to all the nations. Because all the nations are going to flock to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom. And as believers, guess what? If, if the Lord returns, first of all, we'll be raptured. And we'll come back with him. Isn't that cool? We will come back with the Lord as he establishes his kingdom. But the wicked will not be able to partake of the kingdom of God. They will be cast out of the kingdom. And so this is a joy of us as believers. We will not be removed. Notice it says the righteous will never be removed. I love that. Not maybe, you know. He doesn't leave us hanging like, boy, sure hope we're not going to be removed, man. <laughs> you're, you're doing okay today, but, you know, tomorrow you better watch out. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Similar theme. Let's go to chapter 11. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now these scales that they used, or balances, they, they were made of these two pans of a scale. You've probably seen them in our judicial system, right? You, you have the two pans that would be used. And those two pans could actually be adjusted by, by using pans of different weights. Okay? And so, so what some people did is they actually kept weights in their pocket or their purses, and they would use their weights to test to see if the merchants were using uh, honest weights or not. But not everyone had that luxury of having those weights. And so you had deceitful people who, who, of trade who carried different weights. Go figure, right? And so they would use heavy weights. I'm not talking about wrestlers, right? They would use heavy weights to overcharge when selling. Or they would use lighter weights to use when buying. Makes sense. You want to buy more for less and sell more for more. And so they were shysters. They were money handlers. They, they were people just like what we deal with today. Nothing's changed. We have people who try to get money from us in all different ways today. They call you on the phone with a certain accent, right? No, I won't go there. I'm sorry. Um, sometimes I like to have fun with those calls. You ever have fun with them? Yeah. Yeah, I'm bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was all about making a quick buck. It was all about ripping people off at the expense of others. Now, here's the thing. One may think, well, it's not that big of a deal. What's a couple cents? I mean, if, if it's just off a little bit, you know, I'm just... I'm just Tipping, tipping a little bit, you know? I deserve it. And isn't it true when it comes to any kind of sin, can't we rationalize and justify? And we can come up with a million excuses of why this is okay for me. You know, what I've found is that I don't like other people to do those type of things to myself. But I usually can rationalize and justify my own sin when I'm left to myself. But here's the thing. What we see from this text is God is concerned about this, isn't he? He's concerned about these unjust scales. It's an abomination to him. That's a big word. That's not a little word like, yeah, he doesn't like it. He's not very fond of it. Kind of like you're not fond of certain types of food. No, it's an abomination to him. He is concerned down to the very ounce. That's how much interest he takes 
in our relationships with other people and how we treat one another, how we serve one another. Now, what's the, what's the ultimate issue here? Is, is it the scales that he's really mad at? Is he going to take the scale and curse it and stomp on the scale itself? Now, what's the issue? The issue is the heart. The issue is the heart of the merchant who uses those scales to deceive people. Now, what's the real issue? Remember, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. What is this person lacking who, who, who has the unjust scales? Fear of the Lord. See, this person's living as if God doesn't see. And he thinks that he can get away with it, or she thinks that she can get away with it. And you know, for a time, sometimes it feels like we can, right? Because God is patient. And there's a time where it seems like we can get away with things. And it's like, well, maybe the Lord's condoning this, you know? He hasn't shot me with a lightning bolt. He hasn't, you know, caused me to just fall over dead. Maybe he's okay with what I'm doing, even though I know it's wrong. But don't mistake the patience of the Lord for him being okay with it, right? No, it says here it's an abomination to him. The reality is he can see, right? See, the fear of the Lord is understanding God sees everything. He sees everything. Even if I, even if I rob someone from a couple cents because I've changed my scales just a little bit in my favor, he sees everything. And we cannot, we may be able to scheme other people, but we cannot scheme him. We cannot trick him. He sees it all. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom, right? We, we come to our friend pride here. We've hit pride pretty hard, I think, in Philippians as we looked at chapter 2. But pride is having an exaggerated opinion of oneself. An exaggerated opinion of oneself. You ever struggle with that? No. I know everyone here is the epitome of humility. But it's having an exaggerated opinion of oneself. Think about it this way. Therefore, it's believing a lie about oneself. It's not seeing myself in reality. Especially if you talk about the fear of the Lord. When people encounter the Lord, or not even the Lord, when people encounter his messengers in the Bible, just angels, what are people's responses just to angels? Fall on their face and many times actually start to worship until they're stopped, right? Don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. See, in the presence of God, in the presence of holiness, there's this acute awareness of our sin. And Isaiah is the great example, right? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because he caught a vision of the Lord. He had a right view of God. He had a fear of God in his face. In his presence. He understood God as he is. But to have pride is to believe a lie about oneself. And isn't it true that the father of pride is the one who fell, Satan himself? And in his pride, he thought that he could be exalted above the Most High. He thought he could receive the honor and the glory that only belonged to God alone. See, he believed his own lie. Isn't that sad? He's the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. And he somehow believes his own lies. I believe that, even to this day. You know, somehow, I mean, he knows what the scripture says, right? 
We know he, he quoted it to Jesus verbatim, just out of context, obviously. But he knows the word of God. He knows the scriptures. I believe he, he knows Genesis very well. And I believe he knows Revelation very well. And guess what? That's why he hates those two books. You realize that there's more attacks on Genesis 1, 2, and 3 than almost any other scripture in the Bible for a reason? Because why? Who's condemned there? He is. Right from the beginning, he's condemned, right? And guess what? In the book of Revelation, what, what, what's it tell us? Oh, wait. Lake of fire. But I believe somehow he still believes that he can outdupe God. I just believe that. That somehow he's going to come out on the winning side. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But ultimately, he's believed his own lie. And same with the person who's proud. When pride comes, then comes shame. Why? Because you're, you're not seeing yourself for who you really are. And you're going to put yourself out there and do stupid things probably. <laughs> and you're not going to live up to what you think you are. And so pride causes us to be blind, doesn't it? It causes us to make poor decisions. Even though maybe everyone else can see this from a mile away. Isn't it easy to see pride in other people? It's kind of hard though sometimes to see it in my own heart. You know, I need the Spirit of God to convict me. I need the Word of God to shine like a mirror. I need my brother or my sister to point things out sometimes. And tell me, Luke, you know what? You're not all that. <laughs> You're a sinner. <laughs> Saved by grace, just like anyone else. And so don't fall into the trap of pride or shame. But notice the humble here. With the humble, there's wisdom. And humble is having a mo being modest towards others or having a right understanding of self, right? And in God's economy, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Another way of thinking of it is every valley shall be raised and every hill will be brought low. And so in God's economy, it's, it's, it's the great switcheroo. It's the opposite of the way that we, if the world functions, right? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant. Don't seek after titles. Don't seek after positions. Be a servant. Wherever God puts you, whatever he gives you to do, be faithful. Serve him. Serve the people that God has placed in your life. Be faithful with a little bit. Be humble. Have a right understanding of yourself. Right? Anyone ever clean toilets and just sing praises to Jesus while you're cleaning toilets? Isn't that an awesome feeling? I remember as a new believer just cleaning toilets in the church and thinking, this is awesome, right? I need some of that still. I need that humility as a new, of a new believer. Because as a new believer, you realize, man, I, my, my life was a wreck and Jesus saved me. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer God. And then somehow we get this understanding of the Word of God and then pride, knowledge puffs up. We begin to think that we're something when we're really nothing. And so with humble, there's wisdom. Verse 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. And so those who put the Lord first, they submit to His Word and rely upon the Holy Spirit, will live a life that would be considered upright, right? And such obedience has definite blessings even on this side. You realize when you obey the Lord, there is a priceless internal freedom that you have as a believer that no one can take away from you. You know, there's the externals that we spend so much time on as, as Americans. But isn't it the internals that are priceless? Freedom, peace. You know, I wouldn't trade the peace of God for anything in the world. 
the joy of the Lord, the freedom that Christ gives us. There's, there's blessings for the upright, and, and the integrity will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. That, that Those things that we think bring life will bring death, ultimately. Verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but the righteousness delivers from death. And so again, we have this day of wrath, this day of reckoning, this day of God's coming judgment, where he will pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And, and there, this is a burning wrath that devours all sin, all perversity, all wickedness, and nothing unclean will remain. Please understand, this is a, a burning with fire, right? He judged the world the first time with water. He gave us that be- beautiful, glorious rainbow as a symbol of the fact that he will never again destroy the whole world by water. But there is a coming judgment, and it's not of water, it's of fire, and we understand that the world that we live in, it'll all be consumed, right? You know, all the things we get tied up in, you ever say that? It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. <laughs> you can't keep it. And so his wrath devours all sin, all perversity, all wickedness, right? And riches will be of no avail on that day. God will not be bribed, right? He's not going to be paid off. There may be judges in this world that get paid off and are crooked. There may be uh, people of all different ranks in society who you can buy if you have money. But God will not be swindled. He will not take a bribe. In fact, we know throughout Proverbs it says he hates those who take a bribe. And so we will, there will be a day of reckoning. And some may get ahead in this life by buying others, right? There are some people in this world, man, they got the money and they will buy their way to get the outcome that they so desire. But be sure in the day of God's wrath, your money will perish with you. Especially in the context of this, the money that's gained by exploiting others, right? The money that's gained by exploiting others. In fact, that money will be a witness against those people on the day of judgment. I, I, I always love this song. It's, a, it's a, an older song by uh, a woman named Tracy Chapman called Mountain of Things. And I just wanted to read the lyrics of it. It's, it's sort of an ironic song. It's, it's someone who's singing these lyrics desiring to be rich. And it's showing that so many people who become rich get there by stepping on other people to get there. It says, the life I've always wanted, I guess I'll never have. I'll be working for somebody else until I'm in my grave. I'll be dreaming of a life of ease and mountains, oh, mountains of things. To have a big expensive car, drag my furs on the ground, to have a maid that I can tell to bring me anything. Everyone will look at me with envy and with greed, and I'll revel at their attention, and mountains, oh, mountains of things. Consume more, consume more than you need. This is the dream. Make you pauper or make you queen. I won't die lonely. I'll have it all prearranged. A grave that's deep and wide enough for me and all my mountain of things. Mostly I feel lonely. Good, good people are. Good people are only my stepping stones. It's going to take all my mountain of things to surround me. Keep all my enemies away. Keep my sadness and loneliness at bay. And I like this, this, this chorus here. It says, oh, they tell me there's still time to save my soul. They tell me, renounce all. Renounce all those material things you gain by exploiting other human beings. And I think of the people in the world who exploit others 
to get ahead, you know? When people were at the top, how many people did they have to step on to get there? Please understand, the Lord takes notice. And just as she said in the lyrics, renounce all those material things you gain by exploiting other human beings, the biblical word is to repent, to turn from sin and to turn to the Lord. Because riches do not profit in the day of wrath, right? But righteousness delivers from death. And that is really only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only remedy. Do you realize the blood of Jesus Christ is the only remedy? Just as when Israel was in the, in the land of Egypt, remember Pentecost, and they put the, the blood on the posts of the doors, right? And those who had the blood were passed over. And so those who have had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their life, those who've been declared right with God, that's what's going to stand on the day of judgment. Everything else will be burned up. And as believers, now please understand, there's, there's two judgments that we see in Scripture, right? There is the Bema seat, and that's where we as believers will get rewarded for our faithfulness as stewards of Christ. And so as a believer, I will not be judged by my, for my sin, praise God. Jesus took my sin upon himself. So he will not judge me for sin. He will judge me as a believer for faithfulness. Was I faithful with what he gave me? But there is also what we would call the great white throne judgment. And that is where the living and the dead will be stand before the Lord. And we see those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And so that is the great white throne judgment. That is where they'll be judged by their, for their deeds, ultimately for the rejection of the Son of God. And so, again, this is a continual theme as we go through these verses, right? Judgment. Righteousness. Wickedness. And thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, what would I do if I was reading this without knowing the gospel? What would it be like? I mean, maybe I'd be self-righteous and think I'm righteous. Maybe I think, well, at least I'm not like this person, you know. I might be comparing myself to other people. But what if I understood the righteousness of God? I understood his holiness, and I did not understand his grace or his mercy, and I did not understand the cross. Wouldn't this be terrifying? I mean, it should be. It should be terrifying to my heart as I think about that day. Verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. And again, we see the blessing of being in Christ and living for him. When it says direct his way aright, it means to make a smoother, straight way. And ultimately, those who trust the Lord, we know he makes our paths straight. And even though that path may be difficult or dangerous, we understand there's an eternal payoff, right? Wicked fall by their own wickedness. They trip themselves up by their own wickedness. And they have no one to blame but themselves. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. Similar themes. And finally, let's just close with verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked... Instead, I like that. Let's, let's read that one more time. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The picture, the idea is that the wicked has set a trap for the righteous. But the trap will ultimately spring upon the wicked. 
Couple examples, we know Coyote and Roadrunner. I, I've told that one quite a bit, right? Love that cartoon. Every time he sets up a trap, it ends up dropping the anvil on himself or you know, hitting himself with something. How about Tom and Jerry? Just trying to spring the imagination here, right? Somehow Tom always gets the raw end of the deal. How about some biblical examples? How about Haman and Mordecai? That's a good one, isn't it? I love that one. Every time I read that, you know, I'm just excited. I see Haman there thinking he's got it in the bag. And then he ends up literally hanging his own rope. But here's my question for us tonight in closing. What is the foundation of this truth? In other words, where did it begin as we look at verse 8? The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. Where did this begin? Well, like most things, it usually begins in the book of beginnings, right? Book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so we have here the dialogue with, from God to Satan. And as Satan would bite the heel of Jesus... He would put himself in the perfect position to be crushed. You ever see the Passion of the Christ? I love that, that picture at Gethsemane where Jesus is there praying and then you see the snake there and all of a sudden, boom! Seeing that in the movie theater was really powerful, right? Just it, boom! I remember hearing the vibrations of that. But at the attack of the wicked against the righteous ends up slaying the wicked. And it seems like the wicked are winning at times, right? It seems like they're getting ahead. But they're setting themselves up to fall in their own schemes. Why? Why is the wicked going to fall? Because God will intervene. That's the point of Genesis 3.15. God will intervene in the midst of sin. And he did that, didn't he? By dying on a cross. He went on a path that was straight, that led him to Calvary. And he suffered falsely. He was falsely accused. And I wonder if the enemy thought that he had him. You know, it says that the enemy put it in Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus, right? Somehow the enemy thought by using Judas he would get over on Jesus. And Jesus ended up making a spectacle of principalities and powers. And triumphing over, triumphing over him. And so Jesus is the greatest example. Forget about Coyote and Roadrunner. Forget about Tom and Jerry. Even Mordecai and Haman. Jesus Christ is the greatest example that the righteous is delivered from trouble. He was resurrected from the dead. He was resurrected. Death could not hold him. Our sin could not keep him buried. And so Jesus is our forerunner. He is the one who went ahead of us. He's the one that we hope in. And because of him, the righteous is delivered from trouble. He set the bar at Genesis, and he finishes up in Revelation. And in Proverbs, he just gives us these little glimpses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us as we look at so many themes tonight of judgment. So many themes of temporal and eternal, of holiness and sinfulness, Lord. What a contrast between you and us. Between a righteous God and sinful humanity. Between a God who is good and an enemy who is wicked. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, as we, as we look at these verses, we realize apart from your mercy and your grace, Lord, 
we would all be condemned. We would all stand on the guilty side of this, Father. But we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what Jesus did for us, Lord. And we can't help but think of those who we love tonight, Lord, who don't know you. Father, I pray as we spend Christmas with family and friends, Lord, I ask that your spirit would open up opportunities for us to share these truths with those we care about. That, Lord, there is an eternity waiting. And we don't know when each one of us will enter into that eternity, Lord. And so I pray that you'd give us an urgency. Help us to be faithful messengers. Not lazy, not slack, not faithless. Lord, would you find us faithful? Should you return, Lord, would you find us faithful, good stewards, using the gifts you've given us, using the opportunities? Father, we desire to bring honor and glory to your Son's name. We desire to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We desire to sing with all gladness, to just let loose and worship you with every ounce of spirit and every ounce of truth. So God, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your word. May it have its sanctifying effects on our hearts, our minds, our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.